Jim Joyce. Hey. I, I really thought this is going to be the first time ever I'm going to have to do this without you. And I kind of wore lost without you t-shirt so. <laughs> <laughs> on your behalf. But you made it. Um, I don't know where the hell you are now because <laughs> you're like Flash Man, the Flash, right? Just, right. I don't land. I don't stay down too quick. <laughs> I no. just keep, keep popping up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> Chicago, the Chai Town. Uh, ah, nice. Yeah. Are, are you going to yeah, get yeah. to see our, our Seven Wire friends at all or no? Yeah, I'm going to. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to. I'll, I'll do a lot of staring. I'll do a lot of staring during this. <laughs> and listening. And listening. Well, uh, listen, as long as we're there for your big question, then. Um, so I'm going to, you know, this is a little bit of an offshoot. I think from a pure biotech space, we really just had, uh, I guess, well, Melinda, even though she kind of crossed paths, right? Um, but also Milland. So um, I'm going to let Laura Indolfian, who actually is living in Boston, but is in Italy um, currently. So... You guys kind of traded places from the uh, from geographic perspective of U.S. to Europe. And how did she get uh, to Italy? Is she vacationing? I don't, I don't know. Uh, we'll find out in a minute. Hi, Laura. Hello. Hi. Hi, Laura. Nice to meet you. Nice meeting you too. And and actually, Jim, uh, just so you know, Laura and I for the first time actually seeing each other. So we yes. <laughs> we got unfortunately connected due to my father-in-law's pancreatic cancer. He passed away four years ago, and of course, as always, we're always looking as you know patients and caregivers for solutions. And I got connected to Laura, which we'll get into much more detail about her and her business. And so I was just saying, Laura. Um, you're on one side a little bit of the outlier in the sense that while we talk about digital health, we've also been saying the world of digitech um, and biotech are sort of merging together, right? They have been and will continue doing yeah. so. So uh, so I just wanted to give that context. Jim, if you didn't hear us, um, you know, I am lost without you, but you know, we're, we'll, we'll suffer through it. And in Laura, I apologize. Usually, from any kind of Wi-Fi delay, usually I'm a pretty quick talker, but I don't think the Wi-Fi is going to be able to hold up here. <laughs> that time. Okay. But pleasure to meet you. Likewise. Laura, uh, just give us a little bit of your background, right? And what sort of got you? Um, I think I, I found you by doing research uh, on pancreatic cancer and. And I saw your TED video from six years ago, where you were just getting this yeah. proof of concept moving. Um, so we'd love to hear a little bit how you got to where you are now and your background for millions of <laughs> <Yeah>. our visitors. <laughs> yes, sure. So uh, I am an Italian uh, biomedical engineer as training and just as a um, circle of life, we are talking today from Italy. So I also have some, um, I needed to make sure that the internet was right since this is not my usual <laughs> setup. So there has been some adjusting today to make sure that this could happen. Uh, but so in my first life, uh, I was trained as a biomedical engineer uh, here in Naples. Um, at the time where biomedical engineer was still not a full degree. Like, so my, my, official title, I was graduated in material science and engineering with uh -huh. a um, with a 
direction towards biomaterials. And then all of my rest of the research became what's now today's the biomaterial, like the bioengineering field. Um, and I always been working on a translational projects. So I did my PhD here in Naples, working on drug eluting stent for cardiovascular applications. So it was always on some science that could then find an application to help patients uh, down down the line. Um, when I finished my post, my PhD, we had a working prototype of what could have been a new prosthesis of a drug eluting stent that could deliver multiple drugs from the same implant. But then I was faced with the reality of IP, uh, where Abbott, Boston Scientific, Medtronic, they all had coverage of drug eluting stents, so we could really do nothing about that. Uh, so I moved to Boston in 2008 to do a postdoc at MIT with Elazar Edelman and Bob Langers, that they were the pioneer of the drug eluting stent, but ended up working on a different project and kind of got um, into the MIT reality of you already know this, you need to learn what you don't know yet. So I started on cell therapy in collaboration with one of their other startups that was called Pervasis, and then got acquired by Shire. And so there is when I really liked that, got my first experience into taking something really from the lab and thinking on what is the next step to really bring it to the patient. And so I took the opportunity to be at MIT to enroll at the Sloan and taking every classes that allowed me to sit in in commercializing science at HBS uh, to kind of get a little bit more of that commercial experience. And so fast forward uh, in 2014, I was finishing my postdoc. I was looking for what to do next with my life. Um, and I had an offer from Abbott actually to go back to my roots and join their drug eluting stunt division in California. Um, but decided that that was not as challenging me as I wanted to and so decided to take one of my side project and run with it and took a leap of faith and that project was the foundation of Panther. We um, we can go more into detail on how that story started but just to give you on from my end I decided that the big corporate job was not for me back then and actually some somebody at Abbott told me this is your time to to test and experience what you want, like large company that will always be in here. So you can awesome. experience, explore now. And so I decided it, it was a very good offer to after a postdoc to kind of <laughs> refuse and starting, a, you know, to run your own startup with no money. So there has been some thinking into that, but uh, I, I don't regret it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jim, Jim speaks uh, Italian because of no. Emmy, his wife. No, come on, you can do it. You can do it. Do it, tre parole. Massimo, massimo. The accent is very good, so I will get it that there has been some training into that. I'm, I'm usually getting yelled at in Italian by one of my kids or, or one of my wife. Or... This is not an R-rated YouTube. Otherwise, the only words I know are, are not good ones. I'm not good words. Yeah, but. Uh... Maybe, um, so tell us, uh, you know, sort of rewinding back to how we got connected, right? And what really impressed me is on kind of the chemotherapy and the technology, and especially, you know, as, um, as we unfortunately got to know about pancreatic cancer, it's very difficult to deliver the, the very targeted chemo because it's a hidden organ, you know, all of that, unfortunately, again, right? And, and you know this for now, 
six, seven, eight, nine years. I don't know how long you've been working through it. So maybe tell a little bit about the technology and what you guys are trying to do, and then we can peel the onion left and right from there. Yeah, definitely. So I think what it's really fascinating about Panther technology, um, especially being a spin-off of MIT, uh, we kind of worked it backwards. Like usually when you hear a story about MIT startups or MIT technology, they are really shooting for for the sky. Like it's a new material. It's a new micro robots that will self-guide on their own to 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 reach some places and then they will scout what that can that what that technology can be good for Mm -hmm. in our case it worked on the reverse like we were approached by the oncologist at mgh and dana farber and because the lab where i was doing my postdoc they were the pioneer for cardiovascular intervention and being able to deliver the drug locally they said, we, you know, we have been treating cancer for 40, 50 years right now the same way. It's a trial and error. We give patients drugs and see if they work. If they don't, we just try another one. We don't really have much more alternatives. So can you help us to do what you have done for cardiovascular and being able to allow us to deliver the drug locally? So that we started from the problem and found a solution that had two aim in mind. One is we needed to solve the problem in front of us, but we also wanted and needed to do it in a way that was able to reach to the clinic fast so mm-hmm. that we didn't need to have a completely new material, a completely new intervention, because that will take 10, 15, 20 years to bring it to, to commercialization, even just to create the, the manufacturing. And so we know for experience with cancer, usually you don't have all of that time. So we really wanted something to go fast forward to the patients. Yeah. So the technologies, it basically, we looked at it from the engineering perspective with the engineering lenses and say, what is the problem? The problem is that when you give the drug through the blood vessels, you're basically wasting 90% of the cargo. Like they, they need to kind of navigate a couple of times around the body to kind of eventually find the organ. But then from the organ getting to the tumor, then it's another, you know, it's an even another challenging. And then even if you are at that site, you have the blood flow. So the drug will need to jump from the blood flow into the organ and retain there in a millisecond like so that too from our perspective that was the problem we were trying to solve and so we have designed a technology that can be placed in the microenvironment area with a minimal invasive procedure so that the patient doesn't need to get uh, operated with an open surgery and can be allow us to give 100% of the dose directly at the intended target site and in doing that, by especially by doing it minimally invasive, we can capture the entire patient population with cancer. We can target the one before they can go to surgery to make sure that we kill the tumor enough so then it will be easily removable. We can place it for patients that 
they might not be able to go to surgery because they've been diagnosed a little bit too late, but they are not so, so advanced. Then, then, you know, there is just palliative of care and giving them a chance to actually have a surgery after a certain period of time. And we can also target the patients that they go to surgery and just having them placed after surgery to make sure that everything that the surgeon didn't take take out because it was not visible, we will still doing a, a local attack. So we are. You know, it's, it's crazy. And I'm just sort of remembering, and this is part of the process. And you, you, you alluded to, you know, 10, 15, 20 years to bring new technologies to market. Um, my understanding is, and I know this is not it, but something like, you know, there's a cap, you, you put an existing chemotherapy drugs, right? You put it on the spot, in this case, pancreas, right? And it's targeted, and I saw from six years ago, your TED video says 12x, um, you know, efficacy versus, you know, um, the rest. The frustrating part of it, and I, again, I'm rewinding back to my my father-in-law, right? I mean, there was no other choices. And as you said in your, in your TED video, I mean, with pancreas, pancreatic cancer, the odds are almost zilch. Um, and it took you now, so he's been... I passed away four years ago, right? You've already been at it. And only now, which by the way, I saw some news. So congrats on the announcement in Australia, at least, that you are now going into phase one clinical trials of this, right? Um, in, in Australia, at least. But to me, it's the combination of that frustration. There's no other choice. And this seems like it worked. And like, so any thoughts and maybe talk about a little bit why Australia just also as a... And, and and not U.S. or whatever. No. Yeah. So I think like you are totally right. When we started, like I gave my TED talk in 2016, and that was really the beginning of our journey. And it took us six years to get into the five years to get into the phase one trial, and we have done that with an already approved drug and already approved chemotherapy. So our conversation with the agency, they have been fast-tracked or accelerated because we didn't really need it to convince them um, that we were not creating way more problem. But it still took us um, five years. And the reason is because we still needed to kind of catch certain milestones to make sure that we could enter the clinic. The choice for Australia has been really... Um, driven from the perspective of having a accelerated proof of concept into humans. Uh, they have an accelerated um, regulatory path for this type of uh, product where they're using already approved drug you know, material and also procedure because we are doing it to a standard um, procedure already into the clinic. So they, it was a, from the company perspective, it was giving us the ability to reach a meaningful milestone of clinical data in a very lean way with a capital and speed efficiency process. So that because we are also a platform company, uh, we will be after this proof of concept in, in the phase one, we can start exploring and broaden up our pipeline and being mm -hmm. able to um, testing into the different disease or with different molecules. And it's always combining with an existing chemotherapy, but now you're just targeting. And so I, I like how you just said, like you're a platform company, right? Um, uh, versus because you're not inventing the, the new 
we are not drug development. Yeah, you're you're doing a, we, yes. a delivery of that very targeted. And so, I mean, this is actually what we were saying before I sort of let you in, kind of like <laughs> it, we had a few people come from pure sort of core pharma molecular development, but generally it's been digi digital health and the world's emerging. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, kind of I'll call it the patch, but I'm sure there could be some smartness to that patch. It's, you know, I don't know, delivering, depending. I don't know. I So know, I, I, I have lived this duality because we are not a drug and we are not a device. So we are basically everything and nothing at the same time and depending on it, it is true depending who's looking at we have specific things that can appeal them and other things that could scare them because it's the other side so we are really um really a mix and it's very difficult to um, present a mix in in a in a proper way that appeals to everybody but basically what what we can do is that we can we are the vehicle. We are we are the route of administration that can allow us the molecule to reach the target. So it's mm -hmm. like if we are the the bow and arrow, you know, we are mm -hmm. shooting and hitting the target. Now right. we could do so many things. Like our first product is an already approved molecule because he allowed us to leverage that to reach the clinic. But we are right. not limited to that. Our IP is actually material drug and polymer agnostic. So we could have different molecules. We can have multiple molecules. We can have a generic and keep just having a business of reinventing generic and bringing them, restarting their IP life, making them way more effective than what it's already done through the IV route. Um, and also shall take shelf the, large, shelf the drug that they failed clinical trial because of liver toxicity or any other right. circulating toxicity right. and give them their full powerful 100% efficacy that they were designed for. So the molecule and the pharma company, they've spent billions in really developing new molecule. And then translation to the clinic becomes a little bit more challenging because of the systemic route. So we are giving them an extra power to unlock a full potential of the drug. We can also do innovative molecules, things that they are now up and coming. We could do localized immune oncology, like the, the possibility really they could be um, endless just it depends from the company how to prioritize them and also how to partner because again we are not the one that they are um, developing new molecules so if we maintain a generic route we can do that on our own uh, if we wanted to use some of more more innovative molecules we can partner and enhance the efficacy and the outcome of molecules that larger company or more drug development one Laura, when you think of um, this route of administration, what, what's the you know what do you, what's the name of this route? It's not implantation. It's not infusion. What 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 is this route of administration? So for our first product, for our patch, uh, we will be implanted minimal invasive laparoscopically. So it's a minimal invasive surgical procedure, but that is right. done in the hospital. So you don't, it doesn't require the patients to stay in the, in the hospital or to have an open cut that could be problematic. Um, it could be done manually, like 
laparoscopically, it could be done robotically. Uh, so that kind of opens other routes and disease. Uh, as I mentioned, we could have different type of shape. So basically the benefit is we can match what is the best route of administration for a specific um, mm -hmm. organ and then design our mold our platform into a design that can match that route. Um, yeah. So it, it is the, our versatility, it's really the ability to match the clinical need. Like again, if, if we need something that needs to go in, through an endoscope, we can make it in a tubular shape. Or if it is something like right now that needs to go laparoscopically, we made a patch. So it is kind of a... So it's, uh, it's truly a platform business, right? In, in this sort of biotech or biopharma world, right? And again, you, have, you, you may be able to save pharma a crap load of money through their clinical trial process, right? That's one way. So it's interesting to be at the stage where you're at just starting a particular clinical set of trials in, in phase one, at the same time thinking sort of like bigger. And, you know, to me, it's interesting, right? Um, you guys just raised, what, a month, a month and a half ago, over 4 we million? the last, yes, 5.4. Um, 5.4 now, okay. Um, and, you know, if, if we look at kind of, Jim and I are, are, every week we talk about 100 million for this company, software-based, you know, 50 million for this, 27 for this, the intensity of what you guys are doing, and I'm not discounting you know, digital health companies. There's a lot of science. There's a lot of, but this is like right. hardcore science. And you guys raised just five million, and I put it in air quotes. I I know. I, I don't know. Talk, maybe talk a little bit like what you know. Why not go for the fifty and get it out quicker? I'm, again, or, I'm, I'm making this or up. Laura, or Laura, why not go for something more difficult than a platform surgical cancer treatment? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, like, it, what did you, as a child, did you, uh, <laughs> did you go up the jungle gym a certain way? I mean, this is a, this is a serious challenge, you know? So we, we kind of thought either, you know, go big or go home. Um, <laughs> we really wanted to make a, in, you know, a dent into the way that cancer treatment um, can be developed. Um, and we also really thought that one of our best uh, value at least in what we have been how we have been operating so far uh, being focused and being nimble it really allowed us um, throwing with some creativity in between it really kept us on our toe and make us sure that we were not distracted uh, about all of the other possibility when we started the company we had done a lot of thought about because we knew we were a platform technology and we we've done a lot of thought of how we wanted the business development to go and we either were going to prove the platform in vitro so having a lot of bench tests where we were doing different disease different molecule and then go out and say we could do all of these testing or what the route you can imagine that we chose or the real inflection point, it's really getting to the patients and showing that we can be implanted safely, that it can fit into the standard of care for the physicians, for the treatment is not disruptive. And so this first phase one trial and the series A that goes with it to allow us to execute has really been designed to allow us to prove, to put the foundation and, you know, showing to the world what we have assembled preclinically until now, that we can be placed in a 
less than an hour procedure with almost no training because the procedure is already, they're already doing it. Then they just slip our product in and we are using a molecule that is already approved. So the physician and the regulatory agency, they feel comfortable with. But at the end of that tunnel, the company will be a different monster. <laughs> like, put it in that way. Like, we will have had a, a, a good, happy, and kind monster, of course. Yes, but you will have a lot of branches. You know, to me, a monster is somebody that has a lot of, uh, of things. So, you know, you will open up that platform possibility of pipelines that, uh, that will really allow to, full, to have the full potential of our technology. You know, we, we, we're, you know, this was a safe space from the word pandemic when Jim and I started this. Uh, but I also want to do, I do want to say that, I mean, I think cancer and all of the mutations, that, that's also a huge pandemic that we, yes. we, we as a society have not called it a pandemic yet officially, right? And so I think some of the work that you guys are doing, uh, yes, starting with pancreatic, uh, but also just targeted delivery. But, you know, it's interesting. You kind of said it earlier, you guys are not a drug, not a device. Um, how do you like, how do you find talent, right? Especially now that you are like, you know, you raise money. It's all about getting the right people and talent. Like, who do you actually look for? Right. Because you don't need, uh, you know, you don't need to come up with a molecule, but you also, it's not a device. Like, I'm just curious how, and, and being in Boston, very competitive, right? So we choose the best of both worlds, depending on what we need. From a technical perspective, because we don't really invent the molecule, our talent comes more from the material science that is also, you know, where, where, where I come from. Uh, because you allow us the ability to have different different material to match the molecules, so that's that versatility. Um, and from the disease and the development into the clinic, we have been so far targeting from the pharma company. We to the press release of today, we just announced we have been able to retain a phenomenal CMO that will really allow us to execute and bring the company through our phase one and beyond in pancreatic, but also into the company in, in the platform. Thank you. We, we have had a couple of very good months of announcement, but the work has been there for, for years <laughs> in preparation for that. So it's good to have, you know. It's the overnight the success time. after six years, right? Yeah, you try just once and say, oh, okay, now it works. <laughs> so, but the, the ability to find the talented people in the Boston area, it's, it's not that difficult. I think that it's one of the best area where you can find talented. The problem is that there is also a lot of other company. And as you mentioned, there is also a lot of company with a lot of money um, that can provide benefits, they, they can provide salary, you know, like there is different level of um, offerings. Uh, and so I think that at the end for small companies like us, uh, regardless of the amount of money that we could raise into rounds, it's really finding people that believe into the vision, that they see that they can make a difference into what you are doing in a very fast and sometimes more efficient way uh, that they could have done into different jobs, especially into larger companies. And then building that relationship until eventually you can uh, retain them and help them 
grow with you, but more than that, also make them a partner in a company as small as ours. Everybody feels really like a part of the company. And and how big are you now? How big are you now, Laura? How many people? So we have been trying to be, as I mentioned, very um, lean. So we yeah. have four full-time employees, okay. um, wow. but we have 12 consultants. That that is another thing that the you know the Boston area allowed us to do. Uh, I call them consultant because they are not on on a W two payroll where you know they are part of our payroll. But they are engaged. We use them when the company needs them. But they are constantly engaged with us. They keep track of our progress. We have regularly meeting. Like even with the one part of the team not yeah. to use it. Yeah. Um, and that allowed us to get access to the best and brightest without breaking the bank <laughs> uh, yep. and making sure to execute and being capital efficient. So that's- I love it. Sense. I love it. Like my first company, I think my this company with Health Beacon that I'm running now, I didn't hire myself for the first year <laughs> for the university. <laughs> oh, yes. I've been a CEO for Panther totally for a while, it. just in title. Like, I was there, I'm, but there was... I'm living on the edge and your coach. Uh, you know, I, I don't... I, you know, with Marina, you know, my, my boss, I could get fired any day. No. Yeah, hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, wh- one thing, and I, I think you kind of sort of breezed over it, but I thought I wrote it down. And if I'm just not mistaken, your postdoc, you did this with... Like, how was it to work Bob Langer's and Moderna? Bob Langer? Yeah, well, yes. Okay, Bob just Langer I just want to, yeah. Annie. Yeah, so I was, my main P. Bob lab, <laughs> my main lab was with Elazar Edelman. Uh, that was Bob Langer's first postdoc. So it's okay. kind of a, a tree, a family tree. Uh, but this project, the Panther project, was a, a project that was a collaboration between the two labs. So I was going, actually at the, at the point I was going within three, um, three labs because there was uh, Elazar Edelman, Bob Langer, and then David Ting that is the oncologist at MGH um, where, you know, kind of the, everything's stamped. So the, the, the three of them were at the foundation of the academic project. And then when we ran out, we spun out the company. Then I took it. Um, I took the board and yeah, moved exactly. to the next <laughs> to the next one. So now so. you have, uh, you know, obviously sort of spun this out from MIT, proofed the technology in vitro. Um, you now have the approval in Australia to move into phase one clinical trial. You got an awesome CMO to take you through that trial. You now have the money to afford that trial. Uh, I, I can only imagine what's really next, but like beyond the phase one, like what's your what's your next two years looking like for Laura? <laughs> Aside from enjoying Italy for like well, a, I, I mean, a, a, enjoying Italy is just for two weeks, of so which one okay, is working okay, remote. Fair. So it's really and with COVID also it's not really been much much of traveling yet. Um, we are already deep diving into the platform and into the what's really next for for Panther, uh, and not only internally but also you know exploring the way we could grow through par- partnership with drug device and delivery route uh, strategics. But I think that the I mean even right now we 
we are planning and executing this phase one, but we have our eyes on you know, what the FDA agency will need to see from this, what we can start working and compiling to make sure that we can have a smooth transition uh, and expansion as this one is wrapped up and starting exploring with a terrific clinical advisory board that we also announced today, uh, what other disease they would like us to, to you know, wh where do they need, the, where do they see the unmet clinical need into other disease? So there is a lot of uh, market evaluation and brainstorming about where else we can make an impact beyond pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And one, one of the things that, you know, kind of circling back a bit of how we met Eugene, I think that when you reached out telling the story of your father-in-law, my counter response has been that I was battling with my mom colon cancer and eventually I lost her as well, like three years ago. And I'm, I'm not sure about the case, your cases, but in my cases, she was taken away by the side effect of the chemo, not necessarily by, by the tumor itself. Maybe if we didn't discover it, uh, yeah. she would have had a longer life. But so we are really trying to find this bottleneck of where is the problem that takes people away, that it's nothing, that it's more therapeutic um, driven rather than disease driven and how can we really make an impact. So now in the next two years, he will be going back to the drawing table and trying to see how we can yeah. leverage the data we will get um, I mean, into you know, the every, next. It's such an important work. I mean, everyone has, I, I don't know anyone that does, that's of a certain age that doesn't have the story of, yeah. you know, having a loved one uh, unfortunately get cancer and, have, and then having the debate about chemo and, and thinking about, are they strong enough to survive that? What will happen? What's the effect of it? So it's such an important. But, but it is crazy that it's been 50 years and that's how it is treated. Like there has been no improvement into, into yep. the flow of the treatment. There has been terrific improvement into the, the um, drug design and development. But if we are keep throwing the ball at the same way, then there is no way that he's going to score. I find, <laughs> so you... I find also in having those discussions with people over the years is, is it, there's a lot of philosophy in it. You know, so there's a lot of philosophy in the oncological community about go to that person. They're an aggressive treater. Uh, this person will think, you know, we more palliative, you know, we'll think about, you know, the, these trade-offs. And so you kind of end up with someone else's, you know, maybe very competent, but philosophy about how to aggressively treat or not aggressively treat. So, um, and then, you know, you have this exchange going on between like, how much do you um, aggressively target this? And, and you ha it has to be driven by just the severity of the side effects, right? Like that has to be, that's, yeah. that's what drives that debate, like how, how much is it worth it? So. It's really, to, to me, what it really struck me as an engineer that really has, you know, if you do A and B and C and then it will happen something after, it was really like the batting scenario. Like it was, you know, the way that cancer is treated most of the time is we will try and see how it goes and then, you know, we'll see if it was a good bat or not. And I found it a little bit unacceptable to, <laughs> to keep going that way. One quick question. So we usually have a, a Jim's question at the end, which we'll, we'll save it. But one in between, I mean, you kind of mentioned like as an engineer, right? But, but you're a CEO of a company. How is that 
you know, gradual, like, you know, it kind of switched their hats. And we had a couple of other guests that went from that. Uh, what's the life of Laura like as an engineer, think, an engineering thinker, and then switching to the CEO? Like any kind of thoughts on that? So I, I really think that I found my calling. I think that being a CEO, it's really what suits me. Uh, because I found it that it's a blending of the problem solver that the engineer gave me and the social character that I have. Like I, the, being a very good CEO until until now, I think I'm still growing into the into the spot. But I think that the best win that I had were by thinking about the problem I had and trying to deconstruct and see all of the things that could go wrong before that they go wrong and trying to adapt the route from that and then networking like crazy to find the person that could know what I don't know and help me solve that problem when when it will come so having that Yep. ability to talk and talk and talk maybe you have noticed that today <laughs> like keep talking about the technology and the oh, things I'm that sure I like. you had a couple of grappas already so it's all good <laughs> you know this is a shot of digital yeah this is a shot of digital L, I know <laughs> so it, that's it important really the company needs it they need a talker but before we go to that but so I have to there's another actually there was someone I wanted to have on this podcast uh, Eugene a, I don't know if you've come across him, but is it a fellow by the name of Jeff Meehan, who's the CEO of um, Cancer Expert Now, and he's based out of New Jersey, but he'd be a you know a top kind of you know researcher that turned into a marketeer, um, but an absolutely beautiful service, with, it, it kind of where they just you know just accelerating through digital access to cancer expertise, so you can kind of immediately as an employer you can get your second opinions. And you can do it immediately. So, like we've, I've used it for some of um, you know, for people within my company, but he's digitizing that whole access to expertise and second opinions on a global basis. A lot of traction based out of New Jersey near you, uh, Eugene. But it would definitely very, have, very cool. Um, definitely. I, I do really think that you know I knew because I was not trained to be a CEO. I knew that I didn't know what I didn't know you know like there was a lot of a blind spot that I needed to be prepared to uh, react at and so I started to create a network and we also are a hybrid so I wanted to make sure that I talked with people into the drug into the drug field into the device field going back to the digital health right now there is all of this new world of terrenostic where you wanted to use the readout from what you are doing while you're treating locally to adapt to the treatment so that that's another route that the company is exploring the ability to deliver drug locally see how the microenvironment responds and adjust um, treatment accordingly that it's another level of complexity but you know that's that kind of started by talking with people in different fields. So it's a training, it's a that very steep uh, learning curve, but I'm really enjoying it. So I think no, that's- Seems like you're enjoying it. Yeah, it seems like you're enjoying it. <laughs> so Jim, do you want to go to your 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 final question for the for the day, evening, wherever we 100%, 100%, are? 100%, that, uh, molto complimenti uh, to say molto gentile. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm blown away, Jim. <laughs> uh, so, uh, 
So picture yourself um, a uh, someone with a biomedical uh, engineer's background in material science being recruited into a Boston university and you come up with this fantastic idea, your fantastic idea to start a new uh, cancer platform delivery company. And what if picture, picture the, or picture this young woman looking to do this, what advice would you give that entrepreneur that wanted to be a CEO of that technology company from all of your learnings? That's a really tough question. Uh, I am not sure. Like, she would tell her to go to MIT, not be you. <laughs> no, I'm not. So to me, what I've learned is I didn't started my career or I didn't start my education process with a end game in mind. Like I come from a family of lawyers. Everybody, when they grow up, they knew they were wanting to become a lawyer or a judge. I knew I didn't. And I knew that I liked math and engineering. So I just keep trying what I liked and until eventually it kind of has been a very um, smooth flow of how I ended up here. So I don't really have a haha moment that say, oh, you need to do this to succeed other than you really need to do what's passionate you and trying to push that forward and while enjoying it. Um, one of the things that my dad always told me when I um, disappointed him, I think, by saying I wanted to become an, a, an engineer, I wanted to go to engineering school and not law school, is you are going to work 80%, if not 90% of your time. You need to do something that you like, otherwise you are going to have a very miserable life. So I think that that would be something I will tell people as getting today to this announcement of we have started we got approval to the ethics committee. We hired somebody that is terrific as a CMO. I will never dreamed of it, but has not been all good. Like there have been very down route path <laughs> that, you know, where we didn't know if the company was going to make it or break it. And I think that those things, those story also needs to be told in terms of yep. representation so that people don't think that it's all easy and if something doesn't go well it's because you did something wrong because that was the, the first four years of my life almost says I don't know if what I'm doing is wrong is wrong or not so I think that just being representation and out there and say that as a biomedical engineer now I am the CEO of a company ready to start into clinical trials might give confidence to other people out there that they might be able to do it the same so, Amazing. Uh, Good. Fantastic. Molto grazie. Grazie. Grazie mille. Thank you very much for having me on this podcast. I really, it really... Was, it was really, really a pleasure. And congrats on all the progress. And it's amazing work you're doing for this cancer pandemic. So uh, kudos and looking forward to seeing, you know, next set of progress points and milestones. Next step. Yeah. are working next hard next. for that. So and I will keep for, you posted. And for all the listeners and viewers, hit that subscribe button and please share.